How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah. Okay. Everybody awake? Everybody ready to listen to Matt talk about the Bible for two to three hours? I'll, I'll be honest with you. This sermon almost ended up being like three hour long sermon. I have had such a hard time paring this thing down to, to what I can do with you here today. And um, I guess I always have that trouble. But today especially, if you want to go ahead and be flipping to Ephesians chapter 6, while you're getting there, I will also be getting there, just a quick reminder of what we're up to. Um, I am trying to prepare us as a church for what I'm really praying and hoping is going to be an extremely exciting new season at the church. Uh, I, I think that this is the case. I'll tell you one reason this morning I think this is the case. Things are getting really hard. Meredith and I have been marveling lately at just all the stuff going on just with people at the church from both physical health to spiritual family health. Just a lot is going on. A lot is coming up right now. And uh, I knew and I've told you that our opposition is only going to increase if we are going to get up and get moving about our mission in the world, which is to love God and love those around us by making disciples. So I'm trying to prepare us. I'm trying to take us all to the armory to get suited up, to get ready for, for whatever Satan will be throwing at us and what he might already be throwing at you. So I don't want us to have weak, faulty armor. We're trying to do it in our own power or anything like that. I don't want any of you to be naked on the battlefield. We've got to move ahead now. So let's start off by praying for God's help, and then we'll read this passage and, and get into it this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I just ask that you would speak through your word this morning. Help me not to confuse it or diminish it in any way, but let it speak powerfully into our hearts. There are people in these pews coming from all sorts of different experiences in this last week. And they have worries in their minds and fears in their hearts and plans that they're looking ahead to and so much going on and busyness and challenges and opportunities and life is hectic, but we've come here this morning to sit quietly and apply ourselves to your word. Please bless these feeble efforts this morning. Please speak to us and help us to see clearly how to respond. Well, we rely on you for every step of this process. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We're so grateful that we have God's word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So if you knew someone was going to attack you, and you knew how they were going to attack you, do you think that you would prepare yourself for that attack? Dumb rhetorical question, Matt, of course. If you got a note in the mail that said, this evening, on uh, October 10th, at around midnight, I'm going to say 11, so it's actually still October 10th, around 11 p.m., I will be coming to your home, and I plan to jimmy my way through the window in your kitchen, and I'll come in and rob your house and take one of your kids. Love, burglar slash kidnapper. Now, if you got that note in your mailbox, would you just be like, oh, man, that's going to be terrible, and then just throw in the trash and, and turn on the TV? Or would you go to that window and do whatever you had to do to make sure nothing could come through that window? And hopefully call the police. Yeah, you would do something. Okay, so consider this morning your notice, okay? We have here God sending us a little letter saying, okay, you have an enemy. He hates you and your family and your church. He's going to come after you. In fact, he already is. And here's how he's going to do it. Step one. He's going to come at you in the area of truth. So, you know, in the military, if it's going to be a battle at sea, you use the Navy. If it's going to be a battle in the air, you use the Air Force. If it's ground battle, you use ground forces. If, in sports, if you're, going to, if you're going to play a sport in which someone might be jabbing at your face, you use a mask. We respond appropriately to the attack. So, how in the world are we going to respond to this? Remember last week we talked about how one of Satan's big schemes is deception. Satan deceives. The Bible says he deceives the whole world. Jesus called him the father of lies. The father of lies. So if you're a father in here, what you are to your children, Satan is to all lies. How many of you in here have ever said a lie? Phil Shuford, your hand didn't go up. I'm certain that at some point you have lied. Maybe his shoulders are stiff. So we've all lied. That's a fact. Satan is the father of lies. That's a fact. So let me give you a disgusting word picture here that I think is factual to keep in mind anytime you're ever tempted to deceive someone. Every time you speak a lie, you're giving birth to Satan's baby right out of your own face. Satan is the father of lies. 
And he's using your mouth as his womb to send his baby out in the world. Is that not disgusting? Well, lies are disgusting. And that's our enemy. The father of lies. The Bible says lying is Satan's native tongue. That's his native language. How many of you in here know more than one language? Okay. A couple of folks. Yeah. A couple of folks. Not many. My hand was just raised to show what hand raising looks like. I don't know more than one language. I took some Spanish, but I can't get anywhere with it. Even in my, my prime of understanding Spanish, I could not do it conversationally. I went to Mexico on a uh, mission trip back in, um, I guess, it was either high school or early college. And I knew some Spanish. I could do it on paper, but it's totally different when you're talking with someone who that's their native language. Because they're just like, just flying so fast. And I need it all written down. I need a good hour to get one sentence. And I can do it if I have that kind of time. Because that's not my native language. So English is your native language. And you're all, to varying degrees, good with English. We're all still learning English because it's one of the most ridiculous languages in the world, from what I can tell. Why is it not deers? Why is deer the plural? You know, things just don't make sense in English. But we're used to it. We know how to work it because it's our native language. That's the way deception is for Satan. What, What English is to us... Lies and deceit is to Satan. He speaks it fluently. He's beautiful with it. He's a genius with it. This is our adversary. And this is his approach. The first aspect of the body of armor that Paul tells us about is the belt of truth. Because one of Satan's primary attacks is in the area of our belief. Your your perception of things, your conception of reality. Belief. That's where he attacks. Would it be it would be so much easier if he would just come to our house with like a gun or something, and then you know, we kind of know how to protect our family from this. You just do some lightning fast martial arts moves like in a movie. I assume it would be that easy. Don, you can help me out with that. But here he attacks in the level of belief. How do you defend yourself? Because mark my words, our enemy is real. He is organized in scheming against you and your family and our church. And this is how he will attack. This is how he will attack you. This is how he will attack your daughter, your son, your wife, your husband, your family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, your church. This is how he's going to come at us. So what will we do? Well, obviously, our defense here, he calls it, well, the belt of truth. I don't know how your translation words it. Mine goes old school and says, having girded your loins with truth. Having girded your loins with truth. That's talking about like a belt. And loins, he's talking about the flowing, the the part of your robe that flowed down there. You would have to gird that up so you could move back then. They didn't wear pants like this. They wore robes. So they couldn't move fast with all this stuff hanging everywhere. So you have to tie it in tight. And really that that belt or girdle or whatever they would have called it held a lot of their armor together. 
So the belt of truth, that's our defense. But what in the world does that mean? If we just left the sermon at that, would you know what that means? Put on the belt of truth, gird my loins. Okay, so obviously we have a little bit of work to do to protect ourselves and our families and our church. So this is where it got tricky for me. Truth is just a big subject. It's just a big, big fundamental subject. And there's a billion different ways you could go on a sermon about truth biblically. And I went many of those ways as I was preparing, and I just I never felt settled. And finally I thought, well, let me just start back at the beginning of this very letter, Ephesians, and read through and see what else Paul has already said in here about truth and deception. Because we already established He's sort of summing things up here at the end of the letter. So maybe he's just tying together some ideas he already put forth in his letter. So that's the approach we're going to take this morning because he's already said quite a bit about deception and truth in the letter of Ephesians. So we're going to look at that and what we're going to see is three ways that our enemy attacks us using deception. And then three corresponding ways to put on the belt of truth in response to that. Okay? And just a side note, when I say Satan, I mean him and all his servants, all the demonic forces that, that, that are under his authority. Satan's just an easier, quicker way to say it. But I don't think Satan himself is necessarily after you himself. He's got plenty of hordes of forces to, to work with here. So that's what I mean when I say Satan. So three things Satan tries to do using deception to... To get at God's children. The first one we're going to look at comes from chapter 4. Beginning of verse 14. The first thing Paul mentioned in, in, in his letter. Is that Satan wants to stunt your growth. Satan wants to stunt your growth. As a Christian. By using people. To give you bad teaching. Okay, let me read the passage and then we'll get in and we'll sort it out. It'll make sense. Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Satan wants to use people, teachers, to pummel you with bad and false teaching so that you will stay like children. He does not want you to grow. And so he will use subtly deceptive teaching to stunt your growth. Now some of you are still wondering, what are you talking about? Have you been in the Christian bookstore lately? Go into the Christian bookstore and just note how many different books there are in there, how many different authors there are. If you want to take a lot of time, look through the table of contents of some of these books. I want to submit to you that not all the books in a Christian bookstore are good for you. Flip around the radio or the TV. There's lots of teaching you can hear on the radio and TV right now, especially if you have cable. 
I want to submit to you that not everybody who stands behind a pulpit with a Bible in their hand is teaching you well and teaching you good. In fact, there are a lot of people out there who, as this passage describes, are tricky and crafty and deceitfully scheming. There's a lot to gain. There's a lot to gain. To be a celebrity pastor, celebrity preacher, there's a lot to gain. There's a lot to gain in being published and well-read. There's a lot of power and financial gain to be had. So it stands to reason that this doesn't just attract people who really want to get the gospel out there. It attracts all kinds of men. So you have to be, you have to have your wits about you out there. And you have to realize that Satan wants to work through teachers to stunt your growth. You see how subtle he is? He doesn't just come at you with like a fake mustache on. Clearly he's Satan. He's all red and has horns, but he has a fake mustache on. And he's, he's not that obvious. He is brilliantly subtle with how he wants to use deception to stunt our growth. I have about a dozen authors that I trust. I don't have time to read every author. So I've got like a dozen that I, I'll, I trust them. I've, I know enough about them that I think that they are good. And if I don't know the author, like if you give me a book, sometimes people give me books. If I don't know the author or the people who've recommended them, I want to read it. I want to check it out, but I'm skeptical. I start off skeptical. I want to encourage you to start off skeptical. Be careful. Satan works through teachers and preachers and authors and movement leaders. And you'll know it's working when you just start feeling tossed about. And it's like you don't even know anymore. That feeling that you get when you read the newest health bulletin and you realize, oh, eggs are bad for me. I thought they were good for me. Then I thought they were bad for me. Then I thought they were good for me. And you just feel tossed about. It's that feeling spiritually. Some of you may have that feeling. Someone really close to me came to visit us in Raleigh. And we were going to... I believe a really healthy church at that time. It was called Open Door. It was a Baptist church. Sorry. <laughs> now this guy had been going to an up and coming mega church with like laser light shows at the beginning of each service and huge crowds and great marketing, really slick. He visited our church and it really wasn't that slick. It was pretty well done, but it, it wasn't that slick. But we were near to the seminary, and there were just a lot of biblically informed people, which pushed the teaching up a couple of notches. So the preaching and teaching were just really thoroughly just biblical. And I remember looking at this guy after, and he was like, man, he was on the phone to his wife. He was like, they just, they just study the Bible and respond to it. This is what we need. The contrast between what he had been getting, and there's teachers at that other church was so stark. He was a part of a small group thing that that church did, similar to what I'm trying to do with House to House. But I know what they discussed in there, and it wasn't the scriptures. And eventually, before they left the church, almost every couple in that small group had divorced. Things were falling apart. But there was plenty of teaching going on. But I think our enemy was working through all that teaching to just stunt everybody's growth. And eventually he brought them down. So you need to be smart. You need to, you need to think. 
In fact, if you look in your bulletin, the house-to-house insert, that first question might take you off guard a little bit. But you need to ask it. That first question is, is Pastor Matt a false teacher? How do you know? I have to, I have to believe that not all these false teachers realize that they slipped into this. You've got to be careful. Am I teaching you the Bible? How do you know? Satan would love to work through even me. Now I'm hoping you'll report back to me that no, you're not a false teacher. But you need to think. You need to think. So, Paul gives us specific ways to respond, specific ways to put on the belt of truth in response to to Satan's schemes here. In verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So Satan, our enemy, is scheming against us to use teachers and people in authority to just give us bad teaching to keep us like children. What are we to do? We're to put on the belt of truth. And it looks like this. There's sort of two clasps, I guess, to buckle. First, grow up. You see that in verse 15? Some of you just need to grow up already. It, you know, little kid things are cute until that little kid grows up to be like 35 years old and they're still sucking their thumb and, and drinking out of a bottle and it's not cute anymore. And spiritually, it's the same thing. Some of you need to grow up. Some of you need to learn how to feed yourself. Some of you need to grow up and learn how to talk to your dad in prayer. Some of you need to grow up. Gosh, if only we had some sort of strategy at the church to help people grow. <laughs> I know not everybody's like into the house to house thing but I do think it would help you grow I think think coming here to the worship service will help you grow Sunday school will help you grow where we actually study house to house I really think would help you grow because you'd be exposed and you'd see areas that you need to grow and, and you could discuss things like this is man a false teacher? I don't know, what do you think? and you discuss and you grow together and some of you need to rethink your reasoning for not being a part of this. Now, I'll admit, maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe some people would do better in another way. Okay, how are you growing? You've got to be growing. Or Satan will get you. <laughs> this sounds like I'm trying to scare you into it, but that's the Bible talking. It's not me making it up. So Paul says, grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Now, at the beginning of verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. That's how we're to grow up, as we speak the truth in love. Now, why would that be a part of it, of the defense against Satan's schemes? Speaking. What do you think? I was was wrestling with this, trying to figure it out in my mind. I suspect one reason he adds that in there as a response to Satan's deceptive schemes is because we don't realize how often we are a part of Satan's schemes by speaking anything less than the truth. I wonder how many times I have been used and you've been used to deceive people and didn't even know it because we just get lazy with our talking. And so we just sort of spread it around giving birth to little Satan babies. You're never going to think about lies the same way again. 
Think about your recent interactions with people. And you're thinking, I don't really lie. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's not just outright lying. Remember, Satan is brilliantly subtle. (laughs) It's anything that's not just a straight arrow right to the bullseye of the truth. It's deception. Anything that, that I say to you that I knowingly am shaping your perception of reality to be something other than what is actually exactly true is deception. That would include exaggeration. You're like, no, not exaggeration. That makes stories more fun. Well, how did Satan first enter the picture? What was the first thing he said? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? The first thing he says is just an exaggeration. God said you can't eat from one tree. Satan's not going to commandeer you and make you just start telling lies like crazy, like the opposite of liar, liar, where all you can say is lies. He's going to... He's going to encourage you toward just bending the truth, distorting the truth, and amplifying the truth, shaping people's perception in such a way that they're not really seeing what is reality. The truth is reality as God sees it. So think about some of your more recent interactions with people. Are you speaking the truth? In love, you don't just have to go around and say, hey, you look fat in that. Hey, you look dumb today. You know, speak the truth in love. Satan wants to stunt your growth using deception. So we need to respond by putting on the belt of truth, by growing up so we won't be deceived, and speaking carefully so we won't deceive others. Okay, that's just the first thing. <laughs> I only have five minutes left. This hasn't happened to me in a long time. I thought I had trimmed this down so well. Okay, we're going to keep going. The second thing, he wants to keep you on a pointless path in life. He wants to keep you on a pointless path in life. What he uses here is your own ignorance and your own hardness of heart. I'll read the passage and show you where I'm coming from with that. Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles or those who don't have God, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. I'll stop there. I was going to read more, but I'm going to stop there. I figure out how to pare it down as I go. Satan wants to work in such a way that you're thinking it's like the lights are turned down. And dimmed, so you don't see the edges of things anymore until you don't really see. And all you're doing is feeling your way around in life. I've told you about this before, but as the pastor here, often I, have, I walk home at night and it's dark. And I walk through the pitch black old cemetery between the solid rock and my house. And I'll admit it was a little creepy at first. I'm used to it now. But I'm not used to it enough that I, I can't remember where all those limbs stick down in my way and where all those sort of jagged headstones are and weird pipes sticking out of the ground. It's weird back there. So, you, you know, I walk at night, and if you could see me, like if you had night vision goggles, I would look like an idiot. I'm just like feeling around my foot and my hands at the same time. It takes me forever, but I make it through. Satan wants us walking through life like that. Like people who don't even have the light. 
Don't even have God. I hope there's a runway somewhere around here. Okay, well, I'm accelerating here. So what do we do? How do we put on the belt of truth to keep him from doing this, to keep us from thinking clearly, sharply, with the light? Paul tells us, right after he says this, don't walk like the godless in the futility, there's the pointlessness of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. It says in verse 18, he uses, Satan uses our own ignorance, our own lack of knowledge about what God's word says. In our hardness of heart, our own um, reluctance to respond to God's word. He uses that against us. You know it's working in verse 19 because you become callous. You start to just give yourself over to sensuality, what feels good to you. And what else are you going to do? You can't see, so you're just going to go with what feels good. For the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. In verse 20, he says, but you didn't learn Christ this way. He's reminding them about Christ. This isn't what you learned about Christ. You didn't learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. See, Satan is trying to get you to just think dimly, but you didn't learn Christ this way. And Christ is the truth. The third clasp here to this, this buckle of truth is just remembering Christ. Remember the gospel. Because the gospel is the truth on the most foundational level. Remember the gospel. Remind yourself of Jesus and the gospel. It would be like turning on the light. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I'm about to butcher, but I, got, I have the gist of it. He said something to the effect of, I don't believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. I got it. I believe in Jesus like I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He says, I believe in Jesus like I believe in the sun. Not just because I see it, but because by it I can see everything else. That's what the gospel is to our lives. By it, you can see everything else. And where Satan wants to dim the lights and keep us just walking the wrong direction, we can remember the gospel. It will be a light to our steps. He goes on to, to flesh out the gospel. You'll have to hit that there in house to house, I guess. I just don't have time um, to go into what he says. But the gospel really is pretty simple. God loved the world. He loved it so much that he paid the ultimate price. He sent his son Jesus to live the life that we've all failed to live. Everybody but Phil said that they've lied. He came and he lived the perfect life that we have all failed to live. And he died the death that we have earned because of our sin. So that now, that's our only hope. We, we are hopeless without Christ. That is our way. That is our, our, the way, the truth, and the life. The life. If we could just remind ourselves of this every day, we would have so much more light to see those around us more clearly, to see our situations more clearly. Okay, the last one. I'll hit this one more quickly. He wants to keep you in the dark. This comes from chapter 5, starting at verse 6. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes down upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which, they, which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. I'll stop right there. He wants to keep you in the dark. Did you see what he uses there at the very beginning of what I read? Let no one deceive you with empty words. He'll use the people around you and the empty words that they're all spouting out all the time to just keep you walking in the dark. Empty, pointless words, worthless chatter, gossip, vague religious language. A lot of my work here has been to try to put some meaning back into these really important words like gospel and Jesus and faith and hope because we use them sometimes with such an empty emptiness to them. It's like, oh, you just got to have faith, you know, this religious lingo. And it, it, it robs them of all their, their innards. It makes them empty. It just makes them hollow. Satan wants to use this. He wants to use empty words. I just think that we underestimate how important our words are. I think we underestimate how valuable they are. And we're just throwing them out left and right. Satan works in a lot of words. So, real quickly, what to do, how to put on the belt of truth in response to his scheme to use the empty words of everyone around us. And that's to shine the light. See what he says at the end of the verse there? He says, don't participate in this darkness. But beyond that, expose the darkness. Now, this is where it gets really good. It's only 1201. I'm going to tell you. I have come up with some, with, some, uh, with some certain responses that I have now. I, you know, I came in here to be this pastor. I, I, don't, I still am figuring out what I'm doing. But you find yourself often suddenly thrown into crazy conversations where emotions are running high for different reasons. Someone's angry. Someone's devastated. All kinds of different different scenarios. I've come up with a couple of little rules of thumb that help me expose the darkness in these conversations. Okay, so here they are. The very first thing, these are I'm encouraging you to keep these in mind too. When you're talking with someone, let this be your primary question in your mind. What's true here? What's actually true here? Because you might be hearing exaggerations and distortions and people speculating about stuff that might happen in the future, but that's not true. That's, who knows what's going to happen in the future? What's true here? It will really help you to navigate through conversations, to just be thinking, what's true? What is the actual truth here? You'll be surprised at how, how deep you can go in conversations just asking that question. Uh, the second thing, call it what it is. Call things what they are. If you have somebody talking to you and they're like, 
Well, you know me, I don't like to gossip, but all this horrible stuff about someone behind their back. Just be a friend and say, you know, actually, that's gossip. Just thought we should put the right label on it so we know how to interact with it. That's gossip. Somebody comes to you and they're like, you know, I'm not trying to criticize, but like, actually, that was all criticism. Just trying to put the right label on it. Call things what they are. This exposes things for what they are. This gets things out of the light and we can talk and we can rob Satan of his opportunity to use words to bring us down, to keep us in the dark. Call things what they are. Make people say what they're saying. You're in these conversations where you know what somebody's trying to say, but they don't actually want to say it. Clarify what they're saying. Are you saying this? Make people say what they're saying. It will stop a lot of these demonic conversations from continuing. The last thing, move people to action. If you're in one of these empty chatter type of conversations, if there's a lot of like, I don't know, uh, concerns of raising or whatever, move people to action. It helps to, to add heft and meaning to the words that you're talking about if you'll start moving towards action. We don't want to just be walling around in empty chatter. Now you'll be surprised at how your conversations move and how some people don't even want to talk to you anymore as you do these things. Now I may have lost some of you at this point by trying to speed up. So come back now and I'll just recap it real quick. Satan hates you and our church and your family and his first line of attack is in the area of belief. He is a brilliant master of deception. And he wants to use the teachers in your life to stunt your growth. He wants to use uh, your own ignorance and hardness of heart to just keep you walking a pointless path in life. He wants to use the people around you in empty chatter to keep you in the dark. So we've got to grow up and speak carefully and remember the gospel and just expose the darkness as we see it. Now, real quick about how this would, would work. I read a quote as I was getting ready for this, and he was talking about the belt of truth. And he said, it's not so much that we need to embrace the truth, it's that we need to let the truth embrace us. And just let it wrap around us and gird up our loins. Like I said, if you were about to do battle back then when this was written, you would have this big robe on and you'd be tripping over it and you couldn't move quickly. So they had to gather it all up and gird it close to them. Now, if we do not do this as individuals and as a church, all we're going to do is trip over ourselves and be destroyed. The battle is real. The enemy is real. His scheme is real. If we do not put on the belt of truth, we will only trip over ourselves, move too slowly, and eventually be destroyed. As individuals, as families, as a church. I do not want to see that happen. Now, I feel like this is, just feels incomplete. I, just, I knew I didn't get this trimmed down enough. Let me just encourage you one last time. You're sick of hearing this. Go to house to house this week and you can flesh out so much of this that maybe you're still not sure what I'm talking about or you have questions. 
really encourage you, go and, and talk it out. But this is as far as I can go this morning, and I just want to pray for you in closing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel, the, the most foundational truth that we have. I pray for everyone in here that if they don't yet understand and believe that, that you would work in their hearts on that point first. Or that we would all be on the same page that Jesus is everything. He is our hope. He is our life. He is the truth. And Lord, I pray against Satan and his servants and their schemes in the lives of each person in here and in this church and their families. He is a dangerous foe and I rejoice in the fact that you've already defeated him. We just need to hold our ground. Please help us to do so. Help us to grow. Help us to speak carefully in truth and love. Lord, help us to remember the gospel every day. And help us not to take part in dark, empty words. Help us to expose them. Help us to be your light. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.